As we all know, Superman arrived on Earth in a space rocket long ago, when he was Super Baby. The Man of Steel has always thought he was the sole survivor of the tragic catastrophe that destroyed his home world, Krypton. But fate has many strange twists, and the happiest event in Superman's lonely life occurs one day, which will astound and delight all fans of Superman, too. For this is not an ordinary tale of Superman, but the launching of a new member of our Super Family. So, without further ado, we take pride in introducing the Supergirl from Krypton. Great guns! I seem to see a youngster flying dressed in a super costume. It must be an illusion. Look again, Superman! It's me, Supergirl! And I'm real! Welcome to the Supergirl Power Hour, a monthly look at the Maid of Might. I'm your host, Corey, and with me is my daring new co-host, James. Hello there. So, I've been a Supergirl fan for about the last 20 years. I discovered comics with the death of Superman in 1992, so 23 years ago. Fell in love with the Superman family of books from there, and eventually discovered the pre-crisis Supergirl, who has been my favorite character ever since. Um, I own a good majority of her appearances throughout the Silver Age, including her first and second appearances, and I have... Not one, but two Supergirl-centric tattoos that are permanently on my body. I have the George Perez Crisis-era Supergirl tattooed on my calf, and I have the TV show's Supergirl logo tattooed on my arm along with the non-compliant symbol from Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentine DeLandro's Bitch Planet comic book. She also has Disco Dick Grayson tattooed on her body forever, and I think that's unrelated, but also very important. <laughs> it is completely unrelated. I also have Starfire. I've also been a comic book reader for well over 20 years now. I was always more of a uh, Marvel Comics guy. Boo! Boo yourself. <laughs> Getting into the medium through Batman the Animated Series, X-Men the Animated Series, and one of the finest programs ever committed to television, Spider-Man, the animated series. Well, she told Peter Parker not to follow her, but she didn't say anything about Spider-Man. I love how all of those shows from the 90s had the animated series at the end of them. It made them so official, didn't it? I miss the animated series, the motion picture, the multimedia experience. And while I don't have that much experience with the character of Supergirl, I have been a lifelong fan of both girls and the things that are super. So, when Corey asked me if I would do a Supergirl-related podcast with her, I figured I could at least bull my way through a couple of episodes. Now, now, language, James. <laughs> this is a family podcast. Hey, that is nowhere near as disturbing as any of the things we're going to be getting into with these first few comics. <laughs> Uh, speaking of that, we are proud to be bringing you a retrospective history of the Maid of Might, starting with her first appearance in Action Comics number 252. We are going to be taking a look at a handful of issues every episode, at least until we start getting into the more arc-driven stories of the 1970s. 
Uh, we do plan on covering all of her solo appearances that she makes and a good portion of the appearances that she makes in Superman stories and team books throughout the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and possibly beyond. In this long, long, long journey we are going on begins with Action Comics 252, The Supergirl from Krypton. Published in May of 1959, this issue was written by Otto Bender, who will write the majority of Supergirl's early appearances. And the art was provided by Al Plastino with a cover by legendary Superman artist Kurt Swan. One of the greats. Absolutely one of the greats. His Superman is almost unrivaled with any other Superman out there. And speaking of that cover, that cover is one of the very few extremely iconic covers from Supergirl's history. I can only think of a few that rival it. As we open the issue, we did our cold open by reciting the text on this page, which shows Superman meeting Supergirl for the first time. And then it opens with Clark Kent seeing a rocket ship hurtling towards Earth. A rocket ship, I should add, in bright fluorescent purple and green, a.k.a. the official bad guy colors of the Silver Age. Well, you know the reason behind that, right, James? Because most superheroes, they tended to stick with the primary color palette, red, yellow, and blue, so they would give supervillains the tertiary color palette to distinguish them. So greens and purples and oranges were all given to the supervillains. That's why if you're a Spider-Man villain, purple and green. X-Men villain, you're orange and purple. You're a Daredevil villain, I guess you kill yourself. <laughs> so, we uh we very early in this issue actually get to meet Supergirl right after Superman finds the rocket. She pops out, introduces herself. Just looking vogue as hell. I mean, this is an amazing panel. Like, she poses. She's got her hand on her hip. She's looking at him coquettishly. Don't worry, I'm alive without a scratch, she says. Oh, I just want to say, in the panel, as he approaches, he says, I've seen that rocket before. It brought me the same way when I was Super Baby years ago. Silver Age Superman refers to himself in the third person as Super Baby, and I'm going to be doing that from now on. Oh, you see all those adorable photos of James Baby over there? <laughs> he is honestly perplexed by this girl who is wearing a facsimile of his costume, and there's a panel that James likes to point out where it looks like he looks exactly like Mr. Horse. Yes, he, he just looks like a Ren and Snippy character. <laughs> she t says... But I'm also from the planet Krypton. He just crosses his arms, puts his fingers on his chin, and squints. Like, no, sir. I don't like it. <laughs> Superman is drawn very... The only word I can think of is unheroic <laughs> in this entire series. He's very slovenly. Like He's not in particularly good shape. He always has this really smug <laughs> expression on his face. It's like Superman's cousin Jerry. To be fair, Superman doesn't have to be in good shape. It's not like he gets his strength from lifting weights. Although, that is going to be a running theme in this series. It's absurd dumbbells. And in fact, if you are listening along at home and have a strong liver and are of legal drinking age, we suggest that you take a drink every time we mention an absurdly overweight dumbbell. 
I would say continue with this game until you have felt that you have drank enough, because I don't know if there's a way to reach its natural conclusion without dying of alcohol poisoning. So after uh, Kara comes out of her rocket, she tells him her story, which is that a large chunk of the planet Krypton stayed together as the planet exploded and was caught in a pocket of air, which is a thing that happens in the Silver Age, and they had a food machine so that they could live indefinitely. The way it's phrased whenever they're hurled into space, someone shouts, Our street of homes is being flung free into space. Again, from now on, I live on a street of homes. I'm working that into every sentence. Hey, don't you throw litter on my street of homes. Also, like, we may make fun of the 1980s for their horrible fashion choices, but Kryptonians did the 1980s and the 1950s. God. Their outfits are ridiculous. All of them have headbands. All of them are bright, garish colors. (laughs) Is that why Supergirl had the headband in the 70s? Just to to honor her Kryptonian ancestors? She did not add the headband to her costume until 1983, and yes, that is why. (laughs) However, as their planet, uh... Well, as their street of homes flies away (laughs) from the destruction that was Krypton... We all know what happens to the rocks of Krypton as they hurtle away. They become kryptonite. And the same was true for the little chunk of planet that flew away from the planet. All of it became kryptonite. Luckily, a scientist was able to find some lead that he had just hanging around his lab. (laughs) Miles and miles of lead. (laughs) And rolled it out on the ground so it kept them safe for a few years. I just love how that's the Kryptonian way of solving problems. Oh, this radiation is going to harm us. Let's just cover the planet in lead. Oh no, our close proximity to the sun is burning everything. Quick, cover everything in life-saving asbestos. Like, I seriously think that there was no, like, kryptonite poisoning. They just died from all the lead. <laughs> Zor-El was just too embarrassed to admit that it was his fault. That's in character with Zor-El, as we find out later. So Zor-El marries a nice woman named Allura, although we don't get her name in this issue. She's just known as the wife of Zor-El at this point. We know she's a happy Kryptonian homemaker. They have a daughter, and then a meteor storm happens and punches holes in the lead shielding, releasing the kryptonite radiation. No. However, they have a month to live, which gives scientist Zor-El enough time to build a rocket ship. And they decide on Earth by using a super space telescope. Which was top of the line in Kryptonian times. Which means that it also had a dial. I I will never not be amused by science dials. For some reason, people of that era thought that the peak of human technology was twisting things with your fingers. Like, I would be so happy if the next iPhone, instead of a touchscreen, it just had a series of dials. It's like, oh, finally, tomorrow has come. Well, originally the iPod essentially had a dial, only it was a click wheel. That's true. Why don't we go back? Anyway, (laughs) Superman. So they use the space telescope, and they find this man running in the sky, just jogging in midair like you do. And that man is Superman. I love that it's clearly supposed to be Superman flying. But the way it's drawn, it just looks like he's jogging through the air, because that is how much of a just 
just as a showboat, Superman is. Hey, look, I'm doing what you're doing, but in the sky. And they tuned into their space radio to pick up Earth broadcasts, and that's how they learned Earth language and found out that Superman came from the planet of Krypton. And they found out, well, he was lifting an absurdly heavy dumbbell. Take a drink. I just love the idea that just on the weekends, Silver Age Superman just performs feats of strength to impress the simple Metropolitans. Come on, Jimmy, I heard Superman's gonna lift a whole car up his head today. <laughs> He's just some weird turn-of-the-century strong man. <laughs> like, do Lois and Lana just feed him grapes on a throne afterwards? You know, that sounds like a Silver Age comic cover waiting to happen. It does. And in this particular case, he's lifting a dumbbell of 10,000 pounds. When I say they are absurd dumbbells, they are absurd. Nobody would ever make a dumbbell that is 10,000 pounds. Does that mean that there's an entire industry out there of just making dumbbells for superheroes to lift on splash pages to show how strong they are? Seems like a good business until the bottom fell out after the crisis. <laughs> I remember in our day, we used to have 24,000-pound dumbbells Superman used to lift up over his head. Now we're lucky if we get a 5,000. I tell you, in my day, superheroes were stronger. So, after they find out that Superman is a Kryptonian like them, Allura makes Supergirl a special costume so that Superman will know that she is also from Krypton. And it's essentially his costume, but with a blue skirt. Jay really wanted to make sure that Superman didn't shoot her on sight. And in the next panel, we get the first of what will very quickly become a long, distinguished tradition in the pages of Supergirl. And that's Kara pointing out that she is an orphan and sobbing quietly to herself. As her rocket flies away from her doomed people as her mother and father breathed their last because of the kryptonite radiations, which means she had about 30 seconds left before she would have died herself. My father, mother, all the people are dying. I'm an orphan of space now. <laughs> and then uh, we come back to the present, as she has just recapped her horrifying life story. And Superman mentions that he was shot away in a rocket from base as well by his father, Jor-El, which instantly changes Supergirl's mood from sobbing to, oh my god, because she has now figured out that they are cousins. And we get one of my favorite things in this first issue, which are Superman's reaction panels. Because they are all delightful, and Al Plastino deserves a medal for <laughs> drawing his reaction panels, because they are wonderful. Just up until this point, Superman's eyes have been, at best, two small, untrusting dots. The second she says, I'm your cousin, they grow to the size of silver dollars. And he immediately snatches his hands away from her shoulders with this look on his face like, oh, I wasn't thinking anything about you, cousin, oh, cousin. <laughs> and then they hug, and Supergirl asks if she'll be able to come live with him because he says that he'll take care of her like a big brother. And that's when we get our first really jerk moment from Superman, which will also be a running theme of these first several issues. Because he goes, no, no, I, I couldn't adopt you because I have a secret identity that might be jeopardized if I adopted you. The exact exchange is, 
Thanks, Cousin Superman. Uh, you mean I'll come and live with you in that big fancy mansion of yours in the sky? Oh, come now. She doesn't mention the fancy mansion. <laughs> she almost says that. And Superman's exact response is, Hmm, no, that wouldn't work. You see, I've adopted a secret identity on Earth, which might be jeopardized. But I have a great idea for your future life. First, let's see if you can fly. I like how it just sounds like Superman's going to kill her then. Uh, I don't know, I've got this great thing on the side going with Lois Lane. I don't need some brat messing that up for me. Hey, how well can you fly, kid? And his wonderful idea for her super life is, and I quote, No, Kara, you'll need long practice before you can use your superpowers properly. Meanwhile, this orphanage will be your home. <laughs> well, I love how he tells her these wonderful stories about how he got his start as Superboy and was beloved by the people of Smallville and eventually grew to be Superman, the Man of Steel. And she's like, oh, so that's going to happen with me? Uh, 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 no. You're a dirty little secret. Seriously, Superman's catchphrase in this comic is, uh, 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 no. <laughs> so he runs off to find her this pigtailed wig that she puts over her own hair. And what can only be described as a Mormon Halloween costume. <laughs> she looks like an extra from Big Love. I just like how this is... <laughs> Superman's idea of what a teenage girl needs to be wearing. Oh, no cousin of mine is going to be tramping around like some run-of-the-mill harlot. You dress like a good girl. And don't tell anyone you're related to me. And then in a scene that I can only assume is her trolling him, because again, they did listen to radio broadcasts to figure out that he was a Kryptonian. So she had to know about his relationships she tells him that her Earth name is going to be Linda Lee, which coincidentally has the same initials as Lois Lane and Lana Lang, and the true love of Superman's life, Lex Luthor. <laughs> well, the way he phrases it is, Lana Lang was my girlfriend when I was Superboy, and Lois Lane replaced her when I became Superman, <laughs> which is a terrifying glimpse into the psychology of Clark Kent. <laughs> Just like you'll replace Lois Lane whenever you come of age. Silver Age Superman, bit of a So Superman takes her to the orphanage and tells the man running it that Linda Lee's entire family were wiped out in a big disaster that destroyed her old community. And thinks to himself, well, technically I'm not lying because that did happen to Krypton, so I'm in the right here. Because if there's <laughs> one thing Superman is good at, it's super compartmentalizing. So... She gets her home in the orphanage, which is a really shoddy orphanage. Like, her room has a broken bed and a broken mirror and is all dirty, but she uses her superpowers to fix all these things. Supergirl's first action on this Earth is doing super chores. Because that's how to get the female readers in. Like, she uses her heat vision to melt the mirror back together. Like, she doesn't realize that somebody's going to realize that the mirror was broken and is now not? She fixes the crooked leg on her bed with super strength. And, and then, in one of the saddest things I've ever seen in a comic, uses her super breath that she points out Superman uses every day to save the lives of the people of Metropolis to dust her room. 
Supergirl is like a Charles Dickens novel. As sad as the super dusting is, it's not quite as sad as the using x-ray vision to see the other children playing (laughs) and then hoping that she'll be able to make friends with them. Only if Superman allows it. She does a secret night patrol and sees a Superboy movie is playing and gets excited because she's proud of the fame and honor that he's earned and hoping that she'll have the same fame and honor in her future. Oh, Supergirl, if only you knew how many more mind games are in your future. (laughs) So, with that, we go to the next issue, which is Action Comics number 253. It is again written by Otto Bender, and this time the artist is Jim Mooney, who will predominantly be the artist on Supergirl for the very, very foreseeable future. He's one of the most well-known Supergirl artists and is wonderful. The title of this story is The Secret of the Super Orphan. (laughs) One thing you will notice, the titles to these stories will get increasingly more Dickensian as it goes along. (laughs) A lot of her adventures open up with hijinks at the orphanage (laughs) before going into the actual story. Supergirl visits the cancer world. No, no, that that doesn't happen until, like, 2007, <laughs> in which she tells a little boy she's going to cure his cancer. We'll get that. Oh, Supergirl. Uh, spoiler warning, she doesn't succeed, <laughs> and the parents get really upset about that. Yeah, I'll let her note, virtually the exact same thing happens in this issue, but with a bucket of ice cream. <laughs> so, she has a... As the orphans are getting ready for prospective foster parents to show up. We have to be very specific. It is Get Acquainted Day at the orphanage. (laughs) Which I have to say, has got to be the hardest holiday to pick a card for. I mean, you don't even know the people. So she finds out that somebody didn't turn the refrigerator low enough. Which, to which I say, why are you sticking ice cream in the refrigerator? (laughs) There's a freezer part. She's from Krypton, Corey. But it has left a pile of gooey ice cream, and Supergirl decides to fix this problem by using her super breath to freeze the ice cream again. In which case, I'm like, no, Supergirl, you just ruined that ice cream because it's now freezer burned. Seriously, have you ever had to eat ice cream that was melted and then popped back in the freezer? It's inedible. It is the worst. For the record, I just want to point out that... My exact note for this scene is, Kara ruins ice cream for motherless orphans. <laughs> and uh, in what will be the first of many of these to come, we get Supergirl recapping her origin, but getting it wrong. <laughs> in her recap of her origin, she introduces herself immediately as Superman's cousin, whereas it took them a few sentences to figure out that they were actually cousins. She gives exposition like the narrator from Speed Racer. Because you see, Clark, I'm also your cousin from the planet Krypton. My father Zor-El was the brother of Jor-El, your father. Ha ha ha. Little does he know that I'm also Resurrex. And then, uh, she explains again that her chunk of streets was, uh, saved. And then we again get the panel of her saying goodbye to her parents. Only this time we can actually see into the cockpit, and she's waving goodbye with a single tear rolling down her cheek. Because Supergirl (laughs) is the most depressing comic ever written. Also, I just want to say, that is a spacious damn rocket. 
They could at least fit a baby in there. I'm sorry. No, no, it was only meant for her. It was a long flight. She had to be able to stretch out. She could have used the baby as a pillow. So, uh, the headmistress of the orphanage, is that what you call them? That's what I'm calling her, comes and tells Supergirl that she hopes that somebody will want to adopt her. And Linda has a thought bubble of, I'm not ready for that. So she has to decide how she is going to prevent people from wanting to adopt her. And her method is to x-ray vision the pocket of the family that wants to adopt her to find out that the prospective father is a plumber belonging to a plumber's union. And in what can only be lessons from her super jerk of a cousin, she immediately goes that she hopes that their career isn't ordinary, that he's a scientist or an author or somebody famous. I like that whenever I first read that, I thought she wasn't going to make anything out of the plumber side of it. I thought she was just going to get really mad that he was in a union. I wouldn't be caught dead going home with a red devil like you. And then the two parents leave very dejectedly because she wouldn't be happy with a common plumber. So Karen just ruined those people's lives because of Superman. I feel like we should point out the central conceit of these Supergirl stories is that Kara must never be adopted, despite being at an orphanage, because she has to stay there until Superman is ready to claim her. That's what he said, and those are the rules. And she is following all of them. So, the orphanage has a talent show so that the children can demonstrate their talents to their prospective parents. What kind of nightmare world is this? Where people are choosing their future child based on what tricks they can do. And then we get the saddest panel ever, where Supergirl meets Timmy, who can't do anything, and he's just sitting in the corner crying because no parents will ever want to adopt him. Because all he knows how to do is milk cows on a farm. <laughs> so Supergirl instantly goes, well, that farmer couple might be interested. And in fact, they are. They are ready to take Timmy home before the headmaster tells them that they are not wealthy enough to have an adopted child, and they must now leave. There is so much just blatant classism in these stories, which were mostly going to be read by poor kids buying them for a dime, so it's very confusing. A dime was a lot of money back then, James. <laughs> these were comics for rich kids. The, uh... The farmers leave, and Timmy collapses onto his bed sobbing, and Supergirl gets the idea that she has to find a way to make them money so that Timmy can have a home. So her idea came from a newsreel that she had seen where Superman dug a hole in a cliff so that people could see a preserve of petrified dinosaurs. Because science... Also, we should point out, he constructed a giant javelin, which he then threw at the rock formation, opening a perfect <laughs> hole, revealing the formation to be hollow and filled with petrified dinosaurs. Boom, Superman. Which they I should point out, they then refer to as a super peephole. And sadly, that bit of wacky science is not the worst science in this issue. It's not the worst because... dinosaur science coming. 
So Supergirl's idea is to get a giant boulder. She doesn't even fashion a javelin out of it. She just chucks a rock into the ground hard enough to bore straight through the entire planet to make a peephole to the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy. (laughs) Which is viewed once again by a giant super science telescope. For a dollar, you can look at the Leaning Tower of Pisa that is half a world away. People are flocking from everywhere. It's the sightseeing wonder of the century. It's like Cousin Superman's peephole, and money is pouring in for Farmer Wilson. I like to think that people from Italy probably came (laughs) to look at the landmark in Italy. I also like to think that there was probably a peephole on the other side where they could just look at this farmland. (laughs) Come see scenic America. Would that mean that the people on one side are just going to be looking at the people on the other side? Yes. How two people from opposite sides of the world connecting like that. It's beautiful. Thank you, Supergirl. (laughs) And then the whole collapses in on itself a few days later, which is, again, horrible science, because that would be very detrimental to that farmland. (laughs) But uh, they had made enough money that they can go and adopt Timmy. But instead, they decide to move off of their farm, which makes no sense because the farm is their continuous source of income. They no longer have this people to make more money. Maybe the farmer was going to make some good investments. You don't know. Maybe he grew up to be Bill Gates. I, I don't think that's true, James. It's comic books, Corey. Anything is possible. So they move off of the farm and then realize that Timmy might not like town life, so they're going to find another boy at the orphanage. (laughs) And I like how Kara refers to her plan boomeranging rather than backfiring. (laughs) Like, she still hasn't gotten the grasp of English language. Well, she's only been here for, like, two weeks. So she gets the idea that, well, now she needs to convince them that Timmy is useful and has some sort of secret talent. So she finds a magician's kit and decides to use that to impress the Wilsons. I have to say, I totally sympathize with the parents who make a dramatic life decision like that based on whether or not their prospective son can do magic tricks. Like, I would pick the magic kid no matter what. And, like, these are really good magic tricks. Like, (laughs) he engraves a chalkboard with, uh... The words presenting the boy wizard Timmy Tate. But how he does it is with Supergirl's x-ray vision, not knowing that that's what's doing it. And just a note, in these Silver Age comics, they referred to all of the vision powers as the x-ray vision. So heat vision was often called x-ray vision. The x just seems so impressive. And then she wraps herself in real chains and breaks out of them like Timmy made them magic. And then she flies... Like, Timmy is making her levitate. I do like how we're only two stories in, and already Supergirl has done the iconic superperson thing and broke out of chains dramatically. Her tricks work, and Timmy gets adopted because they are very happy to adopt somebody who will be a famous stage magician someday. And make them more money. And all I could think of at this point was... What happens when the Wilsons find out Timmy can't really do the magic? Back to the orphanage he goes. (laughs) Well, Supergirl has already corrupted this poor family by putting this this lust for greed in them. They were just simple farm folk before Kara got involved. 
All right. And that is the end of that issue. And we go into Action Comics number 254, Supergirl's Foster Parents. The custody hearing of Supergirl. The art and writing team is the same as the last issue, Otto Bender and Jim Mooney. Um, that will remain the same for the foreseeable future, so I'm not going to mention it from this on unless it changes. Again, we open with hijinks at the orphanage, where Supergirl drops a ball because... She is too busy watching a space rocket crash. Once again, Supergirl just amused by carnage. She does, in fact, save this space rocket. And when she gets back to the orphanage, she hears the story on the radio and makes an audible wink. Like, this is the most blatant wink I have ever seen. It has motion lines. Like, imagine she winks and suddenly all the other kids turn around like, what the hell was that? It made noise. It is a super wink. <laughs> she so, smashed an atom with those eyelids. So again, we have another meet the kids day at the orphanage. And uh again, Supergirl is trying to not get adopted. And her idea this time is to burn the roast with her heat vision so that they will think that she is a careless girl who spoils food, because that will prevent her from getting adopted. This is what Supergirl has learned of the planet Earth to this point. If I burn their food, these people won't love me, and I'll be safe from Superman's wrath. And again, she uses the term, my plan boomeranged, <laughs> when she finds out that this family actually likes a roast black. We want you all the more for being a good cook, Linda. My plan, it, it, it boomeranged. Like, are they just auditioning for a house servant at this point? I think so, because as we find out now, the adoption period has a trial period of 30 days where you can return <laughs> your child if you decide you don't like them. They have to have all of their original pieces intact, though. They do not accept damaged children. So she is wearing... Can we talk about her outfit? Her Madeline get up here. Like, she is wearing a green jacket with a green leprechaun hat. <laughs> with a feather sticking out of it. She looks like she's in the opening stages of a burlesque show. At any second, she's just going to pull that off to reveal stockings and a corset. God, I hope not. She's only 15, James. It was the 50s. So she finds out that her new foster parents work for a sideshow <laughs> and take a drink because there is a strongman act with absurd dumbbells. As they are preparing for their sideshow act, her foster father puts on a Colonel Sanders bolo tie and goatee to match his mustache. Which he then twirls. Like, he does the legit act of mustache twirling. He is old school. I respect that. I respect that as well. Because that is the first clue that somebody's not on the up and up. This guy is literally twirling his mustache. And she goes along with it thinking that a circus sideshow is an honest way to make a living. <laughs> Little does she know that they are conning people into buying snake oil with her strongman act. Man, a way to have your finger on the pulse of 1950s America, where the number one threat to the average American household was traveling power tonic salesman. 
there's the amount of attention these Supergirl comics pay towards traveling carnivals and sideshows makes me wonder, like, just was that the sole source of entertainment back then? So their whole plan is to use an electromagnet to keep the dumbbell weighed down so that the crowd couldn't lift it and then turn the electromagnet off so that Linda could lift it with one finger. And then she breaks a brick wall with another device that is an electronic tuning fork making supersonic sound waves to break the wall for her. Science! And then she has a game of -of tug-of-war with an elephant who shifty salesman Mr. Dale refers to as a mighty pachyderm. And he calls his daughter a puny girl. That just does not look very fun for the elephant. I mean, he is just dragging his ass on the grass. Like, you see chunks flying up into the air. It's like, oh, God. King of the jungle, no more. (laughs) After the strongman act, her foster mother hustles her away to see the rest of the circus. And by using her telescopic vision and super hearing, she finds out that her foster father is, in fact, selling power tonic at $10 a bottle. Great, Krypton! This was all a racket! My foster parents only adopted me so I could help them swindle people. (laughs) I've got to think of a way to teach them a lesson and make them give back the money they've taken from their victims. And again, we get the single tear rolling down her face. That's her main superpower, the ability to cry a single tear. So, at night, she saves a plane from crashing by making sparks on the runway so that the plane can see the runway. Science. And then, in a stroke of fate, the pet elephant that they have for the Strongman show trips in a hole and is about to crush her parents, which... Supergirl is a better woman than I, because I would have let these snake oil salesmen die. I mean, they're relics from another age. The world has passed them by. Like, can you imagine a more fitting death for a sideshow con man than being crushed by one of his elephants? A phrase I never would thought have been uttered. <laughs> so, rather than just shove them out of the way, she lifts the elephant single-handedly. And then gets surprised that that's going to spoil her secret identity. But her dad is dumb and thinks that the power tonic that she drank actually worked. He is so excited. He has that crazy Superman look in his eye. (laughs) So he goes and drinks a bottle of it himself. So Supergirl's like, well, now I have to fake super strength for him. And she does so by superheating steel bars so that he can bend them. No, she super x-rays the bars to soften the metal, which, I mean, that's not even comic book science there. Immediately, the family drives off and leaves their foster daughter at the circus, and they drive off to meet the chemist who made the power tonic, who gives them the formula, and then we find out that this is actually a super lifelike puppet. The first of many instances of creepily lifelike puppets playing an integral part in the saga of Supergirl. So they bought the Tonic's formula and then find out that he, in fact, swindled them (laughs) by giving them a fake formula and his super strength is gone. And Supergirl takes all the money that she got from them to use her super memory... And super stocking abilities, which we find out in Superman Returns, is a family trait. 
Oh, yeah. And blows the $10 bill into each window of each person who bought the power tonic. Which looks just adorable, let me say. Just her blowing a single bill into each window with mom and dad sitting by the fireplace reading a newspaper. What is this? Our money! And Linda then goes back to the orphanage, tells the headmistress that the Dales have lost all their money, to which point the headmistress rips up the adoption proceedings <laughs> and Supergirl is once more an orphan. Wait, that's not the last thing on the page. We get that final panel, then... The Tootsie Roll ad? Yep, the Tootsie Roll ad. Every single Supergirl story ends tragically, and then there's a Tootsie Roll ad. Supergirl in the 50s is apparently just sponsored by Tootsie Roll. They're the stamps.com of this generation. And you're right, she does have, again, a really sad inner monologue. I'm an orphan again, but maybe someday I'll find foster parents who are really trustworthy. <sighs> anyway, how about Tootsie Roll, Pop Kids? Which brings us to Action Comics number 255, which is Supergirl Visits the 21st Century. Finally, something uplifting. Wait, no, wait, James, no this is her going no. to the interplanetary orphanage. I forgot. <laughs> Yeah, Even in yeah. the far-flung year of 2121, Supergirl still hangs out at an orphanage all day. Oh, no, no, it's not 2121. This is the 21st century, James. <laughs> She's here now. Oh, God, run. Hide your meatloaf. So in this story, we open up with a little bit of a coloring error, because Linda's wig in this story is black rather than brown. She got bored and died it. Yeah. So we open up with her reading a newspaper, and then a spear gets thrown at her head. And a note flutters down from the spear. And she finds that the note is blank, but then finds upon further inspection with her microscopic vision that Superman wrote a note on it in tiny, tiny little cursive. <laughs> like, no bigger than, like, a dime of print is on this letter. And she deduces that Superman threw this spear from Metropolis. I hate you so much, Superman. Rather than coming and visiting her. All to deliver a note that she needs to practice using her super speed to fly into the future. I think the goal of telling somebody that they need to travel to the future via letter... Oh, I have to go into the future? You can't even go to my town? You can't walk 20 feet to the Daily Planet's telephone and ring me up? But I have to break the laws of time and space themselves. Okay, Superman. James, you want to be even sadder about this? I do. So I found out in the letters column that Midvale, the town that she is in, is a suburb of Metropolis. <laughs> God damn it, Superman. <laughs> So, she does. She breaks the time barrier by tornadoing out of the atmosphere. No joke, that's the panel. She leaves a tornado behind her as she flies out of the atmosphere of Earth. Destroying the state of Kansas. Superman has it coming. That's so, how Kingdom Come happens. So, dizzying moments later, because again, she is spinning around. She pops into the future and finds out that 
there are rockets everywhere, and asteroids have been colonized with cities under plastic domes, which you think would actually make her very sad, because the first 15 years of her life she lived on a city on an asteroid encased in a dome. You would think that dome cities on asteroids would be a bad memory for Supergirl, but no, she seems perfectly okay with this. To be fair, this is a girl who has to live every day with the idea that somewhere in the outer reaches of space is a giant floating rock covered in the radioactive bodies of her dead relatives. So, I think she's learned to kind of bury that deep down. Damn, James, that went dark fast. Don't blame me, blame the Silver Age. So, like, there's not a lot to talk about in this issue. Um, She meets a space orphan named Tommy who saves her life as she finds a chunk of kryptonite by turning it into ice. And who has the greatest shorts I have ever seen in a comic book. Seriously, imagine Zat Brannigan as a little boy in purple. And this is exactly what this kid looks like. Well, he's wearing shorts and just under knee-high boots. Wait, I just realized he has his own kiff. Look, he look. His little alien friend looks exactly like Kiff, and his name is Jick. Is this where Zat Bragan came from? Okay, you are so posting a photo of these two in the show notes. Supergirl tries to save his life multiple times through the issue, and he keeps saving his own life with his gadgets. He has a hypnotizing ray from his ray gun that hypnotizes some giant space dinosaur, and he has a skyhook, which is made of compressed helium that allows him to pull himself and Kiff, or wait, no, Jick, right? (laughs) It's Kiff, let's be honest. Out of quicksand. Supergirl sees them in the quicksand, thinks, now they'll need rescue, and the next caption box is, are you sure, Supergirl? As he pulls himself to safety in a panel guest written by Chris Claremont. <laughs> it's nice to know that the angry narrator transcends universes. And then she finds out that little Tommy is going to be adopted, but his adopted parents are about to crash in a meteor shower of mirrored meteors. Supergirl's like, yeah, right on. So she goes and saves them instead, and... Tommy gets to live happily ever after with his adopted parents, and we find out in the last caption box that Tommy is going to become Colonel Tommy Tomorrow of the Future Planeteers. The adventures of which you can read in every issue of World's Finest Comics, in one of the weirdest cases of cross-promotion I've ever seen. And again, we get a Tootsie Roll ad on the very bottom of the page. I just want to point out, you can tell that he's part of the future Planeteers, because in the panel where Kara returns to the past, you see a spaceship fly by with Planeteers written on the side in all caps in plain Comic Sans font, (laughs) just in case there was any confusion. So, the next issue is, again, another issue of Action Comics. This issue is entitled, The Great Supergirl Mirage, and... It opens with Supergirl doing stuff high up in the atmosphere to avoid being discovered by anybody. Little does she know that Dick Wilson is taking pictures with a telescopic lens. And she goes off and she helps a scientist 
find his radium capsule. Because, God, were scientists in the 1950s just clumsy, just creating Frankenstein's incredible hulks left and right, making Earth's this island. We cut back to the orphanage where Dick Wilson, and I apologize in advance because I am probably going to call him Dick Malvern at some point, because that is what his adopted name will be in, like, eight issues. Yeah, we're establishing future continuity with this. He walks by Linda's room, and because he sees a gust of wind blow some papers off of her desk, he decides to go and snoop, and finds out that Kara has not, in fact, finished her zoology report, and class starts in two minutes, so... She's going to get a zero. I am fascinated by the zoology report Supergirl is writing. It reads, and I quote, The Animal Kingdom by Linda Lee. Animals are found all over the earth. In Africa are... And then it stops. In Africa are what? In Africa are what? No, it doesn't quite stop. There are two dashes. (laughs) She put a dramatic pause in there. So Supergirl flies back in through her conveniently open window, puts back on her Mormon outfit, and realizes that she has one minute to finish her report. So she uses her super speed to write the entire report in three seconds. All those things that in Africa are. And then she hands in her report, and Dick, who is living up to his name, questions why she was able to hand in a finished report. And just the oh expression on Kara on that panel. So much so that she has oh lines drawn around her face, like, ha ha ha, ha ha ha, I guess he has to die now. <laughs> no, in fact, she doesn't kill him. But she tells him that she had hidden her fully finished copy of her report in her desk drawer. But Dick's not having any of that, and doesn't believe her, and then goes and develops his film to find out that there is a flying girl in his film. (gasps) Which again, we get the audible speed lines coming off of her face, as she has again the oh moment. I do think that that's just her brain radiating heat. Then we get the very, very devious look on Dick's face as he tells her that he has a hunch who this Supergirl is. He means me. Cousin Superman told me when he used to live in Smallville as Superboy, Lana Lang was always after his secret identity. And now I've got a boy, Lana Lang, after mine. And boy, Lana Lang, just one page flip away, cements himself. As a future supervillain. As the nemesis of Supergirl. Because Dick Wilson has a plastic mask of his own face. That he made that one time. And just hangs around his house. Well, orphanage. Wow, Corey, way to rub it in. So they go off to find mineral specimens on a date, because that's what all the girls are into, Dick Malvern. No wonder you don't have a girlfriend. Then, after putting this lifelike rubber mask of his own face that he just had lying plastic. around... It was plastic. It's I'm, not even rubber. I'm sorry. <laughs> he had to mold this in a factory. He puts this mask over a dummy of himself that he just had lying around <laughs> and dressed in identical clothes and pushes it over a cliff calling for help. And Supergirl falls hook, line, and sinker for his trap. 
but does decide to check if it's a dummy by using her supervision. Which then immediately causes the dummy to burst into flames, because he doused it in X-ray sensitive chemicals. What was his end game with this? Uh, now that I've faked my own death, I'm to ride the rails like a hobo. Well, and again, where did he have these X-ray sensitive chemicals just laying around at the orphanage? Well, they were part of his Lex Luthor Jr. mad scientist science kit. That he sent away for with only four box stops and a nickel? Well, as we'll see later on, Action Comics still exists in this universe, so I'm sure that was an ad in the back. <laughs> Linda realizes that she has one second to figure out how to explain the flames, and because she just has to get out of her Mormon dress, she does so in her Supergirl costume. By using super breath to blow two storm clouds together and create lightning to strike the dummy. Leave Earth's weather alone, Supergirl. First tornadoes, now this. And Dick does indeed fall for the, uh, the lightning striking the dummy. But he does still have a hunch that she is Supergirl. And, uh, we get yet another traveling sideshow troop. <laughs> and more ridiculous dumbbells. Take a drink, and take two, because there are actually two of them. One for the Clown Act, and one for the Strongman Act. We know this because they are carefully labeled, like tea bags. I just want to know what Clown Act required incredible feats of strength. Those are some scary-ass clowns. The Clown Act has a fake papier-mâché dumbbell, and Dick decides that he is going to switch the labels... And then ask Linda to help him move the clown act one. And in the dumbest move of this issue, she falls for it completely and doesn't realize that he would have switched the tags and lifts up the actual dumbbell. But she has a plan. And her plan involves grabbing a hunk of coal out of the fire eater's pit, making it into a diamond with a pointed end throwing it into the dumbbell to drill out the dumbbell and leave a bunch of iron filings that she sucks into her nose <laughs> and then tosses the now very, very light dumbbell to Dick. I want to see a version of this where she imagines herself doing all this and then thinks, nah, it's too much work, and just punches his head off. And then she exhales the line of iron filings into the paper mache dumbbell to make it super heavy. God, just, you know you could end the Korean War right now, Supergirl. You know that, right? And you're just trolling an orphan at a circus. So we cut to the next day when the troop show begins, and they have an unexpected first act, which is Supergirl in full costume lifting a 50,000-pound dumbbell. Take a drink. And then we get this Supergirl taking its head off and opening its chest plate to reveal that it is a Supergirl robot that Superman made as a surprise for the kids. In a horrifying panel from the pages of EC Comics, like she lifts off the top of her head, revealing rivets and circuits, and opens up her own chest. With a blank, soulless expression on her face. 
and that's supposed to put people at ease. Don't worry, everybody. Superman doesn't have a cousin. He simply created an artificial life form to fool you. Which convinces Dick that there is no real Supergirl, and that the picture he took is, in fact, just of the robot. And Superman, again, instead of just, you know, taking three minutes to fly to the suburb of the city that he lives in, left her a note explaining that he had checked in on her with his telescopic vision and saw that she was having problems with Dick. He thought he'd have to wait a few more years before that started. That leads us to Action Comics number 257 from October 1959, entitled The Three Magic Wishes. My favorite story that we will cover in this episode. (laughs) It starts with Linda reading to the younger orphans different fairy tales. Notably, she is starting with the story of Cinderella, which involves an orphan girl. Way to rub it in, Supergirl. (laughs) And she gets interrupted by this kid with a terrifying goblin mask, which really just looks like an old man with alfalfa hair. (laughs) He doesn't even say boo. He just says boo Boo? with a question mark. Perhaps boo. And... Linda reveals that it's Tom Baxter wearing a goblin mask, spoiling the story of Cinderella. And Tom, very condescending to the small children, saying that they are dumb for believing in fairy tales. To which Kara just outraged at this display, leaves them alone with the horrible child, thinking to herself, (laughs) Oh, youngsters half believe in fairy tales. Tom's ridicule is like telling them too soon there's no Santa Claus. Which makes me wonder... How many children realized there was no Santa Claus because of this? Supergirl ruined Christmas for several people. Because, like I said, this was an October issue, so it was right before Christmas. (laughs) I mean, it actually probably came out in, like, August, because dates on the cover were usually a couple of months in advance, but still. It's the Silver Age. It probably came out in mid-January. But somehow, Supergirl's next idea is that she is going to make fairy tales come true for the orphans of that orphanage. (laughs) Essentially to troll that ish Tom Baxter. Supergirl is using her godlike powers to torment a small boy who embarrassed her while she was reading a story. And the way she goes about this is to fly through a cloud of thistledown to make a gossamer gown around herself and then take spider webs to make wings for herself because supergirl is horrifying oh it gets even better she finds a discarded kitchen pan that she melts into a crown and then takes a large size sparkler that she was saving for the fourth of july so obviously this issue actually had to come out before july <laughs> I just like that Supergirl is so poor. She has the one sparkler. <laughs> she has saved away for the 4th of July so she can have the bare minimum amount of patriotism for that day. Well, to be fair, she's an illegal alien. <laughs> like, was she just going to sit alone in her room, light the sparkler, and stare at it until it went out? <laughs> Which we find out would be a very long time, because this is some sort of super sparkler. <laughs> she flies in the window. Don't fear, kids, it's just a flying lady wearing wings of spider webs and a jagged pan as a crown. I mean you no harm. 
And she scares the bejesus out of Tom Baxter. And he's convinced that she is not real and that she's flying by use of wires. So he holds up a hula hoop and she flies through it. But he still doesn't believe that she's a real fairy godmother, which, to be fair, he's right. <laughs> and that's when he asks for three wishes. To which I say, bull that's genies. Fairy godmothers are different. Anyway, his first wish is to take Peggy make her look real pretty. To which point, Supergirl, again taking notes from Superman, is a super jerk. Well, gosh, Tommy's picked the plainest girl. How can I work it? So what she does is she takes a picture from Peggy's room of Peggy's dead mother. Because remember, Peggy's in an orphanage, so her parents are dead. And... By the cover of the sparkler, which apparently is so bright it blinds these kids, she flies into Peggy's room, grabs this picture, magnifies it so that Peggy can see it through a window and think that it's a magic mirror, <laughs> and doesn't realize that it's the one picture that she has of her mother? The mind games Supergirl is playing with the kids in this orphanage, pretending to be some kind of horrible which giving God, tormenting that little girl with the specter of her lost mother. And then things get weird. Because Tom Baxter is still not convinced. He decides to have her turn little Johnny's rabbit into a horse. Oh, Lord. So what, what Supergirl does is she finds a horse that is miles away at a riding stable. Again, activates the sparkler to blind these poor children. Which looks hilarious, by the way, because she's just opening the cage to release the rabbit with the sparkler in her teeth like a cigarillo with just this tired expression on her face. Oh, these kids better appreciate this. So what she does is she takes a miles-long wire and makes a lasso out of it and just yanks the horse Away from the stable. Who just looks horrified, like, oh! Well, wouldn't you be if somebody lassoed you and then dragged you seven miles away? Well, look at the next panel where she's standing beside him, and he's just looking at her like, I have never, in my four years of being a horse... No, no, she doesn't encounter talking horse until later, James. <laughs> I'm sorry, that would be silly. Then she decides that she has to change it back to the rabbit. And she again blinds the children with the sparkler and blows the <laughs> horse seven miles back to the stable. So that horse is dead. Like she just turns and goes, whoosh, and he just flies away and she can just forget him now. He's gone. Gone forever. And like she says that she is aiming him at a pile of hay at the riding stable. <laughs> That horse is still dead. Not everyone is powered by the rays of the sun, Kara Zor-El. <laughs> so she finds the rabbit, lures him back to the cage with a carrot, and then weaves the cage back together with the wire that somehow she had taken from the cage and made into several miles of wire. Science. Comics, everybody. So Tom Baxter's last wish is to make a magic string that can't break. And she does. And we find out it is actually a bunch of her hairs that she has woven into a magic string. I am obsessed with the step down that each successive witch takes. It's like, a, all right, first of all, I want you to take this ugly bra to make a hot. Second of all, 
I want you to transmute living matter. Third of all, give me a strain that don't break. Again, she blinds them all with the sparkler. Well, poor Tom Baxter is tied up by her hair. Now she's just going into Wonder Woman territory. Oh no, she's going into super troll territory because she grabs a thing of yeasto and molds it around Tom's nose. <laughs> and then superheats it with her x-ray vision so that it grows like Pinocchio's nose. Pinocchio's nose did not swing upwards, though. <laughs> There, There is something going on here that we're not going to go into. Because this is a family podcast. But, oh, God, it's just, high school must have been hell. Again, she uses the super sparkler to once more blind the children and hypnotize them this time, sends them back inside, unties Tom, removes the yeast from his nose. That sounded bad. Now, does it sound as bad as her using super hypnotism on them? Because that was just a staple of Superman comics back then. And we go back to the living room, which has a roaring fire that has a child sitting way too close to it. There's an amazing panel of just a smiling blonde girl sitting in front of a roaring fire that frames her like she's the Antichrist. It's amazing. And Linda picks up another storybook asking if Tom wants to hear the story of Pinocchio. And because he now has PTSD over characters with growing noses, Tom terrifyingly runs away. Another soul claimed by Supergirl. That leads us into our first comic that is not an action comics issue. It is, in fact, a Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen issue, number 40, from October of 1959. Uh, this one does have a slightly different creative team. It is still written by Otto Bender, but it is drawn by Kurt Swan. Ooh, class. This issue opens up with Superman's favorite expression, which is, great guns! Which he has said three times at this point. Like, that was his Silver Age catchphrase. And, like, we've only seen him a few times. Because most often he just writes a snarky note and leaves it with Linda. Which I love as carried over to the Supergirl TV show with text Superman. <laughs> However, it's slightly less jerky in the TV show. Well, at least it doesn't take six months for a text to travel the country to reach his cousin who he could visit if he leapt up into the air and fell back down. We open with yet another sideshow, and yet another carnival barker who looks like Colonel Sanders, bolo tie, goatee, and all. And, of course, since it's a carnival sideshow, we have an absurd dumbbell. And one of his sideshow acts is a Stone Age caveman holding an ancient iron spear. To which point Jimmy goes, no... It was the Stone Age for a reason, you lugnut. I just love Pulitzer Prize-winning photojournalist Jimmy Olsen calling shenanigans on that caveman. And he tells this sideshow barker, Colonel Kobe, that he is going to expose him on tonight's edition of the Daily Planet. So you just sit here and feel bad about what you've done. Anyway, goodbye forever. And the guy warns him that he'll be sorry, and Jimmy goes home, worried about the threat. So, he goes to his wall of Superman memorabilia, <laughs> which includes a chunk of kryptonite. <laughs> Just in case Superman tries to break into his house at night. And he grabs a canister of tear gas, 
from when Superman recently jailed the tear gas gang. Which captured my imagination. It's like, is there a back issue of that? <gasps> also, I want to point out, on the souvenir wall, just a regular gun. You know, from the time Superman battled the shoot 'em up gang. Eleven were killed. So, Jimmy Olsen, demonstrating why gingers can't have nice things... <laughs> Drops his canister of tear gas and blinds himself. Dripping over nothing in particular. We cut to Colonel Colby, who's outside, thinking to himself about offering Olsen a bribe so that he won't expose him. But instead he eavesdrops and finds out that Jimmy Olsen is blind, so he gets a new idea and pretends to be a taxi. And instead of offering him a bribe, he just decides to murder poor Jimmy Olsen by shoving him off of a bridge. This thing went from zero to Coen Brothers in like five seconds. I was impressed. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the center of the Earth, Superman is holding a gigantic ball of science that he was given by science men to photograph the center of the Earth. Yes. And so Supergirl responds to Superman's signal watch that he gave Jimmy Olsen and rescues Jimmy from certain death of getting thrown off of a bridge. And Jimmy Olsen is still blind and doesn't believe her that she exists. A girl who can fly? I'm sorry, I... Jimmy Olsen does two things. He calls bull on cavemen, and he knows exactly how many Kryptonians there are on this world. She tells him her origin... Which, again, is different than the last two times we saw it. She's wearing different clothes this time. And Jimmy doesn't believe it at all. He believes that she is actually the strong woman from the act. So she spends the entire issue trying to convince him that she is, in fact, Kryptonian. Uh, first, she uses her X-Vision to find out that he has 75 cents in his pocket. But he thinks that she just saw him break a dollar at the sideshow, which cost a quarter. Drat, foiled again. She has him hold on to a tree trunk, which she will then karate chop in half. <laughs> and then has him let go of it, and it falls over. But he still doesn't believe that it was not previously sawn. So she picks him up and flies, and he believes that it's a wind machine. Because of a traumatic inner ear injury Jimmy suffered as a child, he has no sense of where he is in relation to anything else. She flies him to the Sahara Desert, which he believes is heat lamps, <laughs> and then to the North Pole, which he imagines is a butcher's refrigerator. Pulitzer Award-winning photojournalist Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy decides that the way to expose her as a fraud is to listen to a radio and have her use her non-existent super hearing to tell him what is going on at the rodeo that he's listening to, <laughs> because that makes great radio. So she uses her supervision, and in an act of very, very racist 1950s comics, she sees an Indian war dance. Being narrated by an Old West cowboy, which looks fascinating. Also, the, the, this is represented as a giant oval that Kara is looking at in like a very like Hawkeye move. I mean, give, give it up to Kurt Swan for like pulling a David Aha on us. And then. Jimmy decides that she must have used an ear trumpet to listen to his radio. You know, one of those old-timey ear trumpets that all the strong men are carrying these days. Supergirl decides that the way to convince him is to go back to the orphanage, grab a pair of scissors, and have him try to cut her hair. 
which doesn't work because Supergirl's hair is indestructible. As established by that weird fairy godmother story a few minutes ago. But anyway, she zooms in on the rodeo again where Cowboy Bob is now being dragged to death by a bull and decides that the only way to save his life is to super cool the metal of the scissors that she has and chuck them miles away. Haircuts, rodeos, you know, Superman stuff. And with perfect aim, she severs the rope that is tying Cowboy Bob to the steer, and Jimmy Olsen takes that as confirmation that those weren't real scissors. So... He still doesn't believe that she is really Superman's cousin. Like, at this point, I would just leave. She sees that Superman is coming back to the surface and decides that he can help Jimmy now (laughs) and flies away, leaving Jimmy Olsen blind. But she triggers his signal watch with super breath. To which Superman immediately bursts through the ground from the center of the Earth. Jimmy, what do you need? (laughs) Because that is how Superman comes whenever somebody needs him. For Supergirl, he'll leave a note that she can recover in six months, written in the world's smallest type. If Jimmy Olsen is blind in the desert, he will break through the Earth's mantle to make sure he gets home all right. Jimmy tells him about the skeevy sideshow Barker, and Superman exposes him by shattering the ice exposing a lifelike dummy instead of a caveman, and then rips a lifelike mask off of this person's face, exposing him for Big Kong Colby. Which, if you're going to go through the hassle of making a lifelike mask, why are you using your actual last name? Calling shenanigans at carnivals. Exposing con men to be other similar con men. You know, Superman stuff. And then Jimmy tells... Superman about the fake Supergirl, to which Superman just nods and smiles. While being creepily watched by Kara, who thinks, as far as Jimmy's concerned, I guess I don't exist. <laughs> Time to cry now. <laughs> so that leads us to Action Comics number 258, which is Supergirl's second cover appearance. And again, the cover is drawn by Kurt Swan. And this cover is Supergirl in a tiny rocket capsule that is see-through, begging Superman not to banish her. And Superman, in true Silver Age jerk fashion, responds, I'm sorry to end your career, but you're a failure. I must exile you to another world, and chucks her off of the planet. I have to say, nobody could draw someone's face as they were betrayed by Superman. Like Kurt Swan. Like, that was his niche. We are back to the regular team of Otto Bender and Jim Mooney for this issue. The title of the issue is, in fact, Supergirl's Farewell to Earth. So we're back on the depressing title streak. And I want to talk for a minute about the splash page to this. Supergirl on a weird, like, fungus-covered asteroid that's in clear view of the planet Earth. Like, you can see Earth with America right in charge up front, like, roughly the same uh, distance that the moon is from Earth, so this may be the moon. Kara is building a straw hut, thinking to herself, Superman exiled me to this asteroid. I'll I'll have to live here like a, a girl, Robinson Crusoe. A, a recurring theme in the Supergirl comics is... Everything having to be qualified with girl. 
Well, I'm pumping my gas like a girl gas station attendant. Or boy, in the case of her boy, Lana Lang. <laughs> that is true. She's got a nice little setup here. She's got the straw hut. She has... A two-headed bird. And a series of similarly shaped vegetables that she's managed to procure on this asteroid. I could make a very funny observation about the shape of these vegetables and what they mean to her weeks of isolation. But you won't, because we are a family show. No, I'm not going to go there, and you can't make me, Corey. I'm sorry. I'm going to bring a touch of class to this podcast. Yes, because that's what you bring to this podcast, James. So, we open with Supergirl saving a couple of orphans again, um, and abandoning her Mormon garb because she doesn't want it to get ruined. And then she meets her cousin's pet dog, Crypto the Superdog. Yeah! Who is absolutely bewildered at this girl in his master's uniform. You have never seen a dog drawn to be more confused than the day Crypto saw Hot Lady Superman. (laughs) And really what's going on in his mind is probably that his master has been exposed to red kryptonites. Oh god, it's Wednesday again. But he immediately friends this girl, and they have a race through a mountain by drilling through rock with their super strength and super speed. And I'd just like to talk for a moment about the way Supergirl is drawn doing action in these early issues compared to how Superman is regularly drawn. Superman, when doing any kind of feat of super strength, is generally drawn in the you know traditional superhero manner of just power and just bursting through things. And usually has a serious look on his face. Oh, yeah. Supergirl just kind of daintily floats, no matter what she's doing. Usually with her butt in the air. Like in the panels where she's uh, burrowing through the earth with Crypto, Crypto seems to be pushing a hell of a lot harder than she is. She's just kind of floating with a hand out and smiling towards the camera. It's very strange that even back then there was still that thing of, okay, she's like Superman, but she still has to be really, really dainty or else they won't get that it's Supergirl. Well, and she also always, almost always, has a smile on her face. Always. Meanwhile, Superman just squints and scowls. And occasionally laughs cruelly. Those are his three emotions. The three things his face are allowed to do. Speaking of Super Jerk, he shows up on the other side of the mountain that they burrow out of and gets super mad at Kara for exposing her existence to Crypto. (laughs) He explains that Crypto could follow her to the orphanage and that she must now be taught a lesson for breaking his only rule... And he constructs a transparent rocket and tells her that he is exiling her for a year. Look at the guilty expression on Crypto's face as Superman tells her that she has to leave Earth. Oh. God damn it, Superman, you depressed your dog. So he, he chucks her off of the Earth and grabs Crypto by the collar so he doesn't chase her. <laughs> And so we cut to her living on this planet, making herself a shelter, capturing a pet two-headed bird. As you do. Drinking from alien coconuts. Slowly going insane. (laughs) And watching her friends back at the orphanage from space. 
because nothing is more depressing than that. Supergirl comics are so sad that there is a story where she sits alone on an asteroid and thinks back fondly of her time at the orphanage. And then she sees that her orphan friends are threatened by a forest fire, so she grabs a chunk of ice and chucks it at the Earth to melt over the fire and save their lives. Because Supergirl is God now. She's always been God, James. (laughs) And then, to even become more lonely, she focuses away from the orphans and focuses on kids all over America, dancing and going to the movies and visiting museums. (laughs) One of these things is not like the other. Eating their vegetables. Listening to their Pat Boone records. Being responsible. So a few days later, Crypto shows up with a note from the Super Jerk. Because he was too busy to appear in person, so he sent his executive, Crypto the Super Dog. Because apparently that cat's out of the bag. He can just have the dog fly around willy-nilly now. Yeah, Crypto is allowed to present himself to the world, but not his cousin. The note says that there is a cloud of kryptonite dust approaching, so she has to return to the orphanage for a day. (laughs) But only the orphanage. Don't go outside or anything. And only for one day. So she flies back to Earth, finds out that people have been searching for her for this week, because of course they have. She disappeared from the orphanage. (laughs) So she rubs dirt on her face, and walks through a mud puddle (laughs) to pretend that she has been living in the swamp. No, no, wait. The dismal swamp that is right next door to the orphanage. It's okay, guys. I only had to go through the entire plot of I Spit on Your Grave. Of course, reporters show up to ask about this girl who's been lost in a swamp for a week, and she has to make up a story that she had packed a lunch, and that's why she doesn't look starved for food. (laughs) And then a very, very recognizable back questions her about mosquitoes. A silhouette we all know and despise. By the way, uh, Kara's response to this inquiry is, Goodness, you'll see my smooth skin, invulnerable to insect bites. I must stop him somehow. The hate lines emanating from her brain as the space fever takes her over. This reporter grabs her wrist and sees that there are no insect bites and deduces that she must be related to Superman, to which she doesn't argue. She just pulls off her Mormon clothes and her wig and exposes herself as the cousin of Superman. And this reporter is shocked. He he has no idea what to say. And then he turns around and we see that it is, in fact, of course, Kent. And he is very sad because Linda has revealed her secret to some willy-nilly reporter. Clark is like Bluebeard. It's like, I have one rule that you must not break. You must not go into the locked room in my fortress. Supergirl responds, well, no, I know that you're Superman. That's why I made no attempt to cover it up. To which, again, neither of them make any attempt to dissuade the other of their secret identity. Clark just rips open his shirt, revealing that he is, in fact, Superman. Now, the amount of times Superman disrobes like that in the Silver Age is so disturbing. And her explanation for why she knew is that 
she was going to use the heat of her x-ray vision to create tiny cracks in the lenses of his glasses so that he can't see her smooth arm. At which point, Superman reveals that he was, in fact, at the end of this one-week test period, going to let her live back on Earth. He just wanted to make sure that she could explain away her secret identity. Because Superman's parenting is very much inspired by V for Vendetta. Eventually, he's just going to lock Kara in the Fortress of Solitude and shave her head. I don't think there even is a Lex Luthor. I think that's just Superman after he pulls his wig off. So she asks why he tested her, and he said that because he wanted to make sure she could keep her secret so that he could know that she could know his. At which point she asks if he was going to reveal that he was Clark Kent all along, and Superman slyly says that of course that was the plan, because of course it was, Clark. I believe the exact quote is, uh, yes, Supergirl. Ha, ha, ha. Look, a flying dog. So that leads us to the last issue we're going to discuss today, which is The Cave Girl of Steel from Action Comics number 259 in December of 1959. And it opens up with a panel of Supergirl chucking a Tyrannosaurus away from some cavemen. Some terrified-looking cavemen. As James said earlier... That wasn't even the worst dinosaur science that we were going to get to tonight. So you're Tyrannosaurus Rex, huh? The fiercest living dinosaur that ever lived? Well, let those cave people alone and find your dinner elsewhere. Again, we open with super shenanigans at the orphanage. And by shenanigans, we mean a baby suffocating with a bag of plastic over her face. And not just any bag. This is like a Ziploc. <laughs> Nakara says, oh no, she must have got tangled up in that. No, this was murder. That baby is vacuum-sealed in a body-length pillowcase of plastic that's just forming around her face. And honestly, looking at the panel, it's obviously the, the kid in the overalls with the rattle that did it. <laughs> look at the look on his face. Just looking at that rattle like, yes, rattle, I did what you said. Now will I have parents? A life for a life rattle. So Supergirl uses her heat vision to melt the bag off of the kid's head. Because <laughs> that's how melting plastic works. And the nurse finds the baby and thinks that her arm poked out of the bag and ripped the entire top of it off. I just want to know, where the hell was this nurse? Oh, I just sauntered off to smoke a quick J and look what happened. Then we cut to Linda using her supervision to watch Superman chuck a shark away from a beach. So she decides she's going to tornado herself back in time to the most exciting time of all, the time when dinosaurs and humans coexisted. A.K.A. the comic book past, past, past. She finds some cavemen that are being terrorized by a pterodactyl, and that was beautiful alliteration if I do say so myself. Good job, Corey. And their baby has been kidnapped by this pterodactyl. So Supergirl decides to scare the pterodactyl by shaking a triceratops at it. I swear to God, she picks up a full-size triceratops by the hind legs and just waves it around back and forth. Ooh! Which terrifies that pterodactyl into dropping the baby. To be fair, if I were that pterodactyl, I would be terrified, too. I don't think it's the Triceratops he's scared of. 
Like, his entire world was just turned upside down. With no respect for dinosaur life, Supergirl drops the Triceratops into a river and catches the baby. It's okay, there was a very soft bale of hay in that river. And then she decides that she wants to ride a brontosaurus and gets on his neck. The most confused-looking dinosaur I have ever seen in a comic. Well, it's confused because it tried to slap her with his tail and hurt himself. And she names him Bronte, and he tries desperately to try to get her off of his neck. It's violent. He he smashes her into a rock face. And then she finally breaks his spirit and uses him as a horse. Then on, he's just drawn with a soulless expression on his face. Yeah, Supergirl. My name, Bronte. She uses him as a fairy to get the cavemen across the river, which is now inhabited by Triceratops. That's how the Loch Ness Monster happened. The cavemen invite her to dinner, but they don't know fire yet, so they are serving her raw fish, and Supergirl's too good for sushi. So she decides that she is going to change the course of history and show these people fire. She makes a fire by using a tree that just got struck by lightning rather than her heat vision, and then they get attacked by a fire-breathing sea serpent. Not even kidding, that's the sequence of events. A sea serpent? I thought those all went extinct years ago. She ties the sea serpent around a rock, and uses it to reignite the firewood, and then uses the smoke from the fire to scare the sea serpent away, and fly back to the future, having changed the course of history. To which we then see Kara go to a museum exhibit, because this is an orphanage that has field trips, and sees a stone tablet of herself battling the sea serpent. Bah, these superstitious Stone Age people only imagine such a flying goddess aided them. But I know better! So, to recap, the point of this story is Supergirl saw footage of Superman throwing a shark, said bull... I can top that. So she created civilization. Because Supergirl is amazing. (laughs) Now, I would like to say one thing that I found out from the letters column that was a thing that bugged me for, oh, the first two decades that I was a Supergirl fan. When I first read Action Comics number 252 and Superman just shunts this only living relative that he has into an orphanage. And that is, why didn't he just send her to Mon Pa Kent? Because that seems like the thing that you would do. But it turns out that in the Silver Age, at this point in comics, Mon Pa Kent were dead. So that's why he didn't send her to Mon Pa Kent. Because you have to be an orphan to become a true hero. Like Batman. See, I have my own personal theory about all these shenanigans, and that's that I see Superman as kind of a uh, Count Olaf figure. Like, I think the real reason he's secreting away his newfound cousin to this orphanage is that if she turns 18 in secret, he will inherit, like, some kind of jade mine. That's in her name. Using her amazing coal-crushing ability to mine it out and become a super millionaire. Beating Lex Luthor at his own game. (laughs) See, I could very easily see Silver Age, Mort Weisinger-era Superman being an H.H. Holmes-type 
con man, mass murderer. I mean, you can't say it's not in the character's personality. It, it, it really is. He he is not a good person in the Silver Age. So that is the first nine appearances of Supergirl and sets the stage for the next 30 years of Supergirl history. So many lies. In our next episode, we will be covering early 1960, which will include several more super shenanigans. Do you mean wacky shenanigans or like calling shenanigans at a carnival? Because I expect both. I believe there will be both. Oh, man. So, Corey, if uh, people want to check you out on the interwebs... Where can they find you at? The two best places to find me talking about Supergirl stuff is Twitter, where you can find me at CoreyMarie21, or Tumblr, where you can find me at FYeahSupergirl, which is spelled E-F-F, the word yeah, and Supergirl. You can also find me on SupergirlTVTalk.com. I write a weekly recap blog for the Supergirl television show. And you can catch me once a month on the podcast Graphic Novelism, Below the Bible Belt, and Box Office Pulp, as well as a few less regular ones. And you can find them all on iTunes and on pulppodcastnetwork.wordpress.com. We do have a show Facebook page under Supergirl Power Hour. We also have a show Twitter account, which is S-Girl Power Hour. We also have a website, which is supergirlpowerhour.com. That was our show for this week. I've been Corey. I've been James. And we will see you next time for more thrilling adventures with the Girl of Steel. This has been a Pulp Podcast production. There are a lot of issues that plague the comic book community at large that are really never kind of addressed. I think what the three of us really wanted to do was do a show where we explore all of that. And by the very hand of Odin himself, we now have <laughs> the seed of this podcast. Marvel's Odin. Does DC have an Odin? They must. I don't, th- I don't think so. Let's go with, like, Image Odin. Look, look, DC has Hercules, so he has to have something. Who doesn't have Hercules? Spawn. He has Angela, who's like Lady Hercules. Yeah, she is kind of Hercules-like. Can we still yeah. legally say Spawn has Angela? Have I just gotten us in trouble? Well, now that she's as Guardian, I think it's it's fair play. So. Hey, she's not technically as Guardian. Yeah, but she's Asgard's assassin. And she has like a weird new haircut. Have you seen Angela's new redesign? Look, we can get all into the pathos of Angela on another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs> May I ask what you hope to achieve with this podcast? Those directors created these movies. They filled them with subtext, motifs, messages. They deserve to be discussed. The answer is irrelevant. Movies are simply entertainment, nothing more. Does it matter what they mean? Yes. Yes, it does. I don't understand. Well, Cody, I guess that's because I'm a human being. And you're a robot. (laughs) Oh, sorry. That's quite all right. Box office pulp. Big things have small beginnings. Hands up! Here's a scientifically accurate prediction. By 2037, all of America will be South Carolina. I can live there. God, imagine what kind of weird... 
Alice in Wonderland universe that would be to step into. We're all Southern down here. Like, oh God, that dog is driving a car. Our mayor's been dead for 37 years. My grandma married a statue. God, what would happen to Florida in that universe? Like, would it just break away from America and become, like, its own planet? It would eventually result in Jeb Bush ruling over Florida like Asteroid M. God, football will become mandatory. Like, we would have seances where we would contact Bear Bryant from beyond the grave to ask for his input on the future of our nation. Which really wouldn't be any different from the dead white dudes we're all worshipping now. I would like to see George Washington pull up a simple sweep right block and play. The South is like a black hole. All things are eventually consumed by it. Below the Bible Belt. Southern Hospitality. Delivered monthly.